You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Well, 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 off to the wilds once more we go. Welcome back to Attaboy Clarence. Summer is here. How wonderful. And of course, I've got some old movies to tell you about that you're going to love. I'm going to draw the winner of the Dr. Kildare competition. Yes, the complete DVD box set of Dr. Kildare movies will be going out to one of you. How exciting. Listen on for that later. But first, time for a refreshing cigarette. Yes, they're refreshing, apparently. Ice cold. Perfect for a summer's day. But which one should I smoke? Mayfield. Mayfield. Fresh new way to smoke. A fresh new kind of cigarette. Mayfield. The smoothest thing that's happened to smoking since the filter. Mayfield. Sorry, what's it called? Mayfield. With just enough menthol to smooth out the smoke but not enough to blur the taste of the good tobaccos. Oh, good. Wouldn't want to ruin that refreshing taste. And Mayfield gives you the reassurance of super filtration. There's no better filter on any leading cigarette, menthol or otherwise. Mayfield leaves your mouth clean, fresh, moist. I must admit, I'm kind of moist just listening to this. Try Mayfield and discover the smooth satisfaction of this new kind of cigarette. Mayfield. Fresh, new way to smoke. You know, you really should mention the name of the cigarette from time to time. Summer, you old Indian summer. You're the tear that comes after Juneteen's laughter. You see so many dreams that don't come true. Dreams we fashioned when summer time was new. You are here to watch over some heart that is broken. By a word that somebody left unspoken You're the ghost of a romance in June Going astray, fading too soon That's why I say farewell To you Indian summer
wonderful that was. Indian Summer from Tommy Dorsey. Beautiful stuff. Well, boy, howdy. That's a phrase, right? Obviously, when you immerse yourself in the movies of yesteryear, as I do all the time, you run up against attitudes and behaviours of yesteryear that make you wince the same way that you did when you first saw that Cats trailer. I know that many people have big issues with this, and I'm certainly not going to make any excuses for the attitudes of people from decades past. But I do think that if you're going to watch and enjoy a lot of films from this period, then you do have to make your peace with the fact that the world was a different place and that, thankfully, we're a little more enlightened now. And isn't that great? Case in point, the first movie I have for you today, Carry On Cabby. Yes, what a surprise, a pre-warning that a carry-on movie might contain attitudes and behaviours that some might find awkward to behold. A complete shocker. Don't do that when you take your test, mate. You'll never pass. You filthy, rotten roadhog. Good for you, lady. (laughs) So the story we have here is, for change, told largely from the female perspective. Yes, the hero of this thing is Peggy Hawkins, played by Hattie Jakes, who's been slowly cast aside by her husband Charlie, played by Sid James, as he's built his taxi empire. Yes, Charlie is far too preoccupied with cabs and making money than he is with his doting wife, and Peggy has begun to resent it. And how are you this lovely morning? Never mind about the lovely morning. Where's Charlie? Uh, Charlie? Oh, I don't know, Peg. Uh, Oh, perhaps he's in the office. No, he's not. I've just been in there. Oh. (laughs) I, uh... I'm at the other office. You know, the... What, for two hours? Oh, come off it, Ted. You can't fool me. Has he gone out cabbing? Oh, oh no. Well, I wouldn't do a thing like that, would he? I mean, not after he's promised you. He's somewhere around, I expect. Uh, don't worry. Look, I'll find him. Well, you know what they say. If you can't beat him, join him. And if you can't join him, then set up a rival taxi service and put him out of business. That's roughly it. Are you serious, Mrs. Hawkins? Yeah, of course I am. It's about time we showed these men a thing or two. Men? They're only good for one thing. They wouldn't be much good at that without us. It's not going to be easy, you know. It'll take a few weeks. Yeah, the sooner we get started, the better. What's Mr. Hawkins going to say? Nothing, because we're not going to tell him. Oh, it's going to be a surprise for him, eh? One hell of a surprise, Mrs. Sims. Yes, in classic Britcom carry-on style, what you have is a battle of the sexes in the red corner. Your crusty, greasy, chauvinist taxi men. And in the blue corner, your slinky, modern, young, cab-driving girls. This is it. I want you to get out there and grab all the business from under their smug male noses. I don't care how you do it. Within reason, just get the fares in your cabs. Uh, in the back of the cab, dear, with you in the front. Any questions? Well, actually, darling, do you think we really stand a chance? I mean, there are far more men drivers, actually. I know, but the men haven't got your advantages, dear. Just flash your headlamps at them. That's basically your setup. Scorned wife sets up rival taxi firm in order to spite her husband and uses the sex appeal of her brigade of supermodel drivers in order to steal the eye and the cab fares of every guy in town looking for a lift. Now look, Charlie, you've got to do something. All these lads are full of complaints. It's about these other cabs. All right, all right. I know all about it, and I don't like it any more than you do. I've just seen one of them. What's she look like, Charlie? She had a mouth. Who cares what she looks like? Well, I reckon the customers will. Yes. Let's go in a canteen and talk about it. Come on. 
So for those of you who aren't familiar with the Carry On movies, they began in 1958 with Carry On Sergeant, which was about the mishaps at a training camp for a bunch of recruits for national service and continued all the way through to 1992 with Carry On Columbus, which was widely panned by everyone. They began as these sweet, kind of quite innocent, little bit saucy, charming little sitcoms stretched out over an hour or so and featuring a gallery of British faces that soon took on mythical status here in Britain. As the series went on, the humour and the permissiveness kind of kept up with the times until they became almost a pastiche of themselves. They got bawdier and sleazier until by Carry On Emmanuel in 1978, the formula became basically a series of dirty jokes that weren't funny anymore. However, I am a fan of the earlier films in the series. I find them really charming little comedies and wonderful little snapshots of the Britain at the time. I've talked about Carry On Nurse before, which is one of my favourite British comedies of this period. Well, Carry On Cabbie is definitely in that phase of the series. It's got your glamour girls in it, yes, but it's not as sleazy as the later films, and the story at the film's heart is genuinely smart and well-written. It's really nice to see Sid James playing a happily married character who doesn't spend the entire film leering at teenagers too. His scenes with Hattie Jakes are extraordinarily well played. You would actually believe that they are a married couple. I'll come back to her in a minute. In the supporting cast, you have Kenneth Connor as Ted the Mechanic and Charlie's main confidant. You have Charles Hawtrey as an accident-prone cabbie called Pint Pot. You have the great Bill Owen as Smiley, Liz Fraser and Esma Cannon as Peggy's co-conspirators. Then Jim Dale, Carol Shelley, Cyril Chamberlain and Amanda Barry in supporting roles. But it has to be said, the real star of this thing is Hattie Jakes. She's so often seen as the stern matron in these films, but here she really actually gets to act. She plays heartbroken and vengeful and comedic and powerful and tragic. It's a great performance. It really does go to show that these people weren't just caricatures. They really could act. And if you want a snapshot of working-class Britain in 1958, then this is wonderful. From Charlie and Peggy's little flat above the garage to the cabman's tea room, from the country lanes and village greens to the hospitals and town centres. I always spend much of this film just looking at the shop windows and teacups and things. The details in this film are marvellous. Now, as I said at the beginning, times have changed. Attitudes between men and women have changed. There is a thick vein of sexism that runs through this film, from the snidey comments about women working, to the short skirts and bosom-enhancing uniforms that the glam cab drivers have to wear. It's obvious that times have changed. I mean, the interview process to become a glam cab driver is evident enough. May I see your legs, please? Right, you've got the job. Next, please, Flo. But I think we're all grown up enough to recognise that while this might have been representative of attitudes in 1963, we've certainly become more enlightened and inclusive these days. Carry On Cabbie isn't malignant in its intentions. It's a battle of the sexes in which sexist men are shown up to be dinosaurs and actually learn the error of their ways. It's a story that shows women as resourceful, inventive and powerful. And that's more than you can say for a lot of the films doing the rounds in 1963. That said, it is a product of its age. So bear that in mind if you go into it. Personally, 
the glamour girl stuff has always been secondary to me, to the husband versus wife plot of the film, which I think is great. Carry on cabby then. Stick out your hand and hail it down. It's really fun. You know the way prices have been soaring the last few years. Oh, don't I though. I bet international sterling prices have risen too. Now who could blame you if you jump to the conclusion that international sterling prices have risen too? But here's the wonderful thing about international sterling. Other leading silver people have raised their prices, but your favorite international sterling pattern costs the same today as in 1944. Why do you know you can save $20 by getting eight play settings in an international sterling pattern like Spring Glory rather than some other sterling? Eight, do you hear? Yes, sir. And with that $20, you could buy eight additional teaspoons. This is international sterling, mind you. Solid silver that is artist-designed, created and finished in jewel-like detail at the hands of master craftsmen. See it at your international sterling dealers. Well, that is great news, I'm sure. Well, men, now you know how to become an irresistible hit with the ladies. Just fix yourself up a good horoscope. Uh-uh, do what I did. Get yourself a job in Mr. Jonathan's silverware store selling international sterling spring glory patterns. Oh, yeah, you'll be an instant babe magnet. Gosh, Mr. Smith, I can't keep the ladies away. Well, I should hope not. This is so true to life, by the way. Ask anyone what they're looking for in a partner, and the top three are good sense of humor, nice smile, and job in a silverware store selling international sterling spring glory patterns. Spring glory is one of the loveliest patterns international sterling has ever created. Boy, do those gals love me. I bring out my velvet mat and put down a knife, fork, and spoon in the spring glory pattern. Then I point out the unusual features. I like the open work on the handle and the way it unfolds into one perfectly carved flower. Why, Mr. Smith, I have those women hanging on my every word. Yes. More likely they just can't understand what the hell you're talking about. Yes, especially when you mention the price, I imagine. For international sterling alone among leading silver people has not raised prices since 1944. Yeah, I guess what you mean, Mr. Smith, that it's... that uh, it isn't irresistible me. It's irresistible international sterling. Yes. Think? That brings all those women into Mr. Jonathan's silverware store. Well, all I know is that no woman can ever resist the solid silver with beauty that lives forever. And that's international sterling. The boat rides we would take The moonlight on the lake The way we danced and hummed our favorite song The thing we did last summer I remember all went along the midway and the fun the cupid dolls we won the bell you rang to prove that you were strong the thing we did last summer I remember all went along the early morning hike the rented tandem bike the lunches that we used to pack 
Glorious, glorious song. That was The Things We Did Last Summer by the wonderful Joe Stafford. Oh, I'll tell you what else I watched that's really good. 1956's The Killer Is Loose, starring Joseph Cotton, Rhonda Fleming and Wendell Corey. That's what. Great plot here. So Wendell Corey plays an ex-army man, Leon Poole, who's now working in a bank. Well, that bank is robbed one day by armed gunmen and the robbery is investigated by Detective Sam Wagner, played by Joseph Cotton, who soon comes to realize that it may have been an inside job and that Poole was the man who pulled it. Incoming, or is it going on? Hello. How's the building and loan business, Clyde? Sound like something? What are you doing? I told you not to touch your phone until we were sure. They don't know a thing. How can they? I'm alone and had a chance to call. Hey, Denny, don't. What was that? What was what? That click. This line's tap. Probably the connection. You must be wrong. Hang up, you stupid. So anyway, Wagner and the cops turn up to Poole's place and do the obligatory come out with your hands up business. But Poole starts firing at them. In response, Sam fires back and in the ensuing gunfight, accidentally hits Poole's wife, killing her. She didn't know about it. Hold up. Not for tonight. Not until she came home when I was packing. She wanted to go with me. Oh, I... Even after I told her, she still wanted to go with me. That's how she is. That's how she's always been. That's why I can't understand why you, you do such a thing. It was an accident. We didn't know she was here. We, we couldn't see. So Paul goes off to jail having lost everything. I know this all sounds spoilerific, but this all happens in the first ten minutes or so. Paul is devastated by his wife's death and begins to hatch a brutal revenge plot against Sam. An eye for an eye, or in this case, a wife for a wife. Yes, after breaking out of jail, Paul goes on a rampage, murdering his way across the country so that he can have his revenge against Sam by murdering Sam's wife, Lila, played by Rhonda Fleming. Rhonda Fleming, not the time, Adam. The pen just had a meeting with Paul's first cellmate. Poole used to bend this fellow's ear, asking him why your wife was any better than his own. 
How's that go again? Fool wanted to know why, since you had killed his wife, your wife should be alive. He said if it was the last thing he ever did, he was going to bust out and kill Lila. He didn't say it once. He said it over and over. That's how he plans to settle with you. He'll still take you if he can't reach her. But Sam, she's the number one target. So what you have here is a great, super tense noir thriller about a quite cold-blooded killer and the measures that Detective Sam has to go to in order to stop him from taking his revenge against his poor, innocent wife. And it's pretty scary. I mean, Wendell Corey is an actor I mainly know from Rear Window. He plays Jimmy Stewart's police buddy, and he's not what you'd call scary in that. Well, prepare to have that preconception punched in the trousers because he's utterly terrifying in this film. He's almost like a slightly more remote version of Norman Bates and the way in which he just kills in cold blood is actually quite shocking. There's a scene in which he kills a truck driver that actually took my breath away. And when you see a character this evil killing anyone who crosses his path, it really does up the stakes in terms of plot. You really do start to worry about the fact that this thing is coming. He's on his way. And what on earth are you going to do to stop him? Joseph Cotton is great as Detective Sam, and the interplay between him and Rhonda Fleming is superb. He doesn't tell her why he's suddenly sending her away from the house, because he wants her to feel as safe as possible. And while that's playing out, Lila wants Sam to quit the force because she's worried about his safety. Rhonda Fleming is also great as Lila, and the climax of the film, in which Poole finally strikes against her, is as tense as anything I've ever seen. Really brilliant film, that's 1956's The Killer is on the Loose, recommended to me by Gabriella Masson, so thank you, Gabriella. Well, how about some radio entertainment for you then? One of Joseph Cotton's most famous roles came in 1949 in one of the most renowned noir thrillers of all time, The Third Man, in which he starred opposite Alida Valley and Orson Welles. Well, in 1951, The Theatre Guild on the Air had a remarkably good stab at bringing the film to radio, and while they didn't manage to reunite the power trio of Wells, Varley and Cotton, they did pair Cotton with Signe Hasso, and the result was very entertaining indeed. And so let's kick the summer season off with one of the great noirs. This is the Theatre Guild on the air, and their version of The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton and Signe Hasso. See you afterwards. The United States Steel Hour presents the Theater Guild on the Air, starring Joseph Cotton and Sidney Hassel with Anthony Ireland in The Third Man. <laughs> Helping to build a better America through better steels and products of steel is the job of the industrial family that serves the nation, United States Steel. Look for our trademark, USS, on any steel product. It's your guide to quality steel. And now, as the lights go down at the Velasco Theater in New York, here, speaking for the Theatre Guild, one of America's foremost theatrical producers, is Roger Pryor, with a word about our play and players. Tonight, the Theatre Guild on the air inaugurates another year of outstanding radio drama with the first radio presentation of the David O. Selznick motion picture triumph, The Third Man, from the story by Graham Greene. 
As our stars, we bring you Joseph Cotton, who will recreate his original screen role of Holly Martins, and Sidney Hasso, who plays Anna. Anthony Ireland, the way stage success Black Chiffon, plays Major Calloway. Our featured players are Barry Kroger, Herbert Berghoff, and Stephen Schnappel. We raise the curtain now on The Third Man, adapted for radio by Halsted Wells and directed by Homer Fickett. knew the old Vienna before the war. By the time I got there, it was already in the classic period of the black market and charming buildings with fountains and cupids all bombed out. But if Vienna looked somber from the train window, at least the sun was sunny and my spirits brightened as I stepped off headed past an American MP. Hey there, passport. Oh, I'm Holly Martins. I'm expecting a... Passport, please. Oh, oh, uh, here you are. Purpose of your visit? A friend of mine offered me a job here. Where do you figure to stay? With him. What's his name? Lime. Harry Lime. He's American. Okay. Here's your passport, Mr. Martins. Uh, what's the matter? Well, I don't know where to go. I thought he was going to meet me here. Oh, wait a second. I got this address. Show it to a cab driver. He'll take me. Well, I'd walk. 15, Steve Grazza? Oh, I'm broke. You see, I was in Paris broke when I got this letter offering me a job. Well, right? now, let's see. You go out here to the front of the depot and follow the main drag till you come to the fourth fountain. Then uh, turn right and go on down the... Come to see Mr. Lime. Harry Lime. Lime? Uh. Yeah. Yeah, the Vince Kirkliuk, my lieber Herr. Are you the porter here? Yeah, porter. Yeah, see, coming too spare. Ten minutes. Already gone. Who? Who's gone? To the cemetery with his friends in the coffin. Coffin? Who's coffin? Your friend, Mr. Lime. Accident. Killed at once by the car. Killed? Yeah, yeah, here, here, in front of the house. Have seen it, myself. That's really a shock. You want maybe I call you a cab to the cemetery? Thanks, no, thanks, no cab. No? Stone roads for miles lined with scraggly cypress. It was quite a hike to the cemetery, quite a cemetery. Miles of it. Finally, through a clump of cypress, I saw a little group by an open grave. Priest reading the service. There's something curious and grim about that little group. An English major, intelligent-looking, tight-lipped. Next to him, two men with a wreath. Dark, well-dressed in an odd way, probably Austrian. They kept eyeing me suspiciously. Then there was this girl. She didn't see me at all, just kept staring in the grave, all dreamy and sad and very striking. What could these people be to Harry Lyme? That was that. We sprinkled spoons full of dirt on the grave, and the service was over. 
The girl turned and left down the long road. I started to follow. English Major came up to me. Are you a friend of Lyme? Yes. Like a lift to town, I've got a jeep here. Thanks. My name's Calloway. Martins. You could do with a drink, couldn't you? Uh, Sergeant Payne. Yes, sir. Uh, we'll go back now. Come on, hop in, Mr. Martins. Where do, sir? Where would you suggest? Uh, for a drink, sir? Uh, for several drinks. Well, sir, if it's for several drinks, then it ought to be the Cottonestrasse bar. Be quiet this time of day. No, 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 thank you, Major. Not another drop will start boiling in my beer. <clears throat> I guess no one knew Harry as I did. Where did you see him last? Four years ago. Best friend I ever had, aside from a horse. Sounds like a cheap novelette. Well, I write cheap novelettes. Ever read The Lone Rider of Santa Fe? No, sorry. Death at Double X Ranch? No. Bloody shame. Criminal. What is him dying like that? Heard from him only the last month. Offered me a job. Now he's dead. Best thing that ever happened. What'd you say? Harry Lyme was a racketeer. Who are you? A cop? Listen, Calloway, he was my friend. If you think you can... In fact, he was one of the richest and most unsavory characters in the city of Vienna. Say another word against Harry, I'll let you have it smacked between the eyes. Do you have any need for me, sir? Thank you, Payne. Payne, offhand, could you possibly think of a form of humanity lower than Harry Lyme? Cops. You're all cops. Anything you can't solve, pin it on a dead man. Rackets, murder... That's right. Murder was a big part of Harry Lyme's racket. He lived on murders. Death Why, brought him... you dirty cop. Oh, oh. oh. Thank you, Paige. Thoughtful of you to stop him. You almost got me first. Oh, Payne. Yes, sir. When he comes to, take him around to the Sackers Hotel for the night. Very well, sir. I'll ship him out on tomorrow's plane. <laughs> Here we are, Mr. Martins. Just step up to the desk and sign. Passport, please, sir. Will you fill this out? Ollie... Not Ollie Martins, the writer. That's me. Excuse me, Sergeant. Did I hear you say you had a writer? (laughs) Ollie Martins, sir. Oh, he's very good, sir. I've read quite a few of his books. Uh, Death of the Double X Ranch, sir. Oh, Mr. Martins. My name is Crabbin. I represent the CRS of GHQ. You do? I'll tell you what, Mr. Martins. On Wednesday night at our institute, at cultural relations section of general headquarters, we're having a little lecture on the contemporary novel. I thought perhaps you'd like to speak. Well, I'm only staying as long as my money holds out, and I should think that might be another ten minutes. Oh, well, Mr. Marsons, if you'd agree to be our guest speaker, we'd be li- delighted to put you up. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes. Well, uh, uh, I'll drive you back, Mr. Crabbins. Mr. Martins, excuse me, sir. This gentleman has been waiting for you. Who? I am Baron Kurtz. I was a friend of Harry Lyme. I saw you at the funeral. Very glad to meet you. I think you called at Harry's house this morning, uh, talked with a porter. That's right, I did. If you would care to hear how the accident happened... I certainly would. Good. Then I will show you the very spot. Uh, Come, please. 
and I came out of his house like this, Mr. Martin, and we were walking this way. A friend of his called to him from over there. Harry went across, and from up there came the truck. It was just about here. Here. His friend and I picked him up. The two of us carried him to this statue, and this is where he died. But even at the end, his thoughts were of you. Oh. What did he say, Baron Kurtz? I don't remember the exact words. Holly, I may call you Holly, may I not? Uh, you said he died instantaneously. How could he... Well, he died before the uh, ambulance could reach him. Who was this friend who called to him? A Romanian. A Mr. Popescu. I'd like to talk to him. He's left Vienna. Do you have some purpose to speak to him? Yes. Yes, I want to clear Harry's name. The police have a crazy notion that he was mixed up in some sort of racket. <laughs> they get rather absurd ideas sometimes. <laughs> well, I say good day now. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Baron. Who was at the funeral besides you? Only his doctor, Dr. Winkel. Wasn't there a girl there? Girl? Yeah, a blind. She looked wonderful, only maybe she had a little too much shellac. Ah, yeah, she's some girl of the Josefstadt Theater. A friend of Harry's, but you oughtn't to speak to her. It would only cause her pain. By the way, where can I reach you again? Uh, I live in the Russian sector. You find me at the Casanova Club every night. Why, Baron? I still think it won't do Harry any good if you go chasing after that girl. You do much better to think of yourself. Don't you worry. I won't get hurt. Excuse me, but I recognized you on the stage and I figured out your name from the program Then I came back. I'm a friend of Harry Lyne. Oh? Holly Martins. I saw you at the funeral. Oh. Uh, come in. Thank you. Uh, won't you sit down? Did Harry ever tell you about me? No. Had you known him sometime? Yes, for some time. You were in love with him, weren't you? In love? I knew it when I saw you at the grave. Yes. I was completely in love with Harry. And now he's dead. And I want to be dead, too. I was talking to another friend of Harry's, Baron Kurtz. Although I don't know how he ever could have been a close friend. Well, perhaps Dr. Winkel was a closer friend. Dr. Winkel? Yes. He was at the funeral, too. He was Harry's doctor. He came along just after the accident. He testified at the inquest. You at the inquest? Yes. Everyone said it wasn't the driver's fault. Harry wouldn't hire anyone that wasn't very careful. You mean it was Harry's own driver who hit him? Yes. Well, I don't get it. What goes here? Baron Kurtz and this Romanian stand watching while Harry's driver runs him down, and then along comes Harry's doctor. See what I mean? No one saw anything except this group. I'm beginning to think maybe... Maybe it wasn't an accident. Oh, what difference could it make? What difference? He's dead, isn't he? But if it's an accident, that's one thing. If they bumped him off, that... Look, will you go with me to Harry's house as a porter there? So it happened. If he saw it, then why worry? Will you go with me? You could talk to him in German. Will you? All right. All right, I don't mind.
Ja, ist denn, äh, sehen Sie da. Gleich da unten. Da unten ist es passiert. Oh, passiert what, English. What's he saying? He says it happened right down there. You can see it from this window. You saw it? Not saw. Heard. Heard. I heard the brakes. Ram. Now, was he still alive? I was told that he did not die at once. No, nah, no. Nah. Er war gleich tot. I mean, uh, Fräulein Schmidt, wie sagt man in English gleich tot? Died at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He died at once. Well, that sounds crazy. If, if he died at once, how could he have talked about me? Papa! Yeah? Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 excuse me, I go, my wife calls me and... Why, why didn't you talk at the inquest? Oh, I wasn't the only one who did not talk. Oh, who else? Come on, come on, who else? And, uh, three men helped to carry your friend to the statue. Now, Baron Kurtz. Yes. This Romanian Papesco. Yes. And? Who was the third man? Yeah, who? Yes. <laughs> yes. There was a third man. He didn't give evidence oh, to so Why should I... I smell not the blood. Uh, yeah, 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 come here. Excuse me, please. My wife, Listen. you see. My wife... To, uh... Listen, who was the third man? You don't mean the doctor. No, no. He came later, later. Mr. Martins was told there were only two men there. No, no. Third man. You've got to tell this story to the police. Police? Yes. Police? No, no, no. No, no, no. You no, won't police. go to the police. I will. Who's that little kid? Uh, it's I'm staring at him. I must have staring at him like a little goose. Uh, uh, excuse, please. The little boy always makes trouble. And and now you, you, you go, yes? You you know now that everything was an accident. Devil, it was an accident. How do you know the three men didn't kill him? Uh, it was accident. Yeah. He knows nothing. He saw nothing. nothing. He, he said yeah. nothing. Yeah, yeah, I... <laughs> Not my business. I I said nothing. Go at once, please go. Why the streets are black. Ruined buildings look as if they're ready to gobble us up. Shall I walk you home, Anna? Mr. Martins, why don't you leave Vienna? What's the matter? You're afraid about something. I'm only afraid that whatever it is, it's deep and dirty like a sewer. And there's no point in your trying to clean it out. In other words, you're saying you know Harry was murdered. I'm saying I don't know anything, except if you, you keep on in this, you'll probably get yourself murdered. You sound serious. As long as you can't really help Harry, why risk your neck? Maybe I'm risking it for you. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Bottom? I think death is the bottom of everything. Death and loneliness. You mean that's true for you? Yes. And for you, too, if you keep on in this. Well, we... We don't have to have death and loneliness, do we? Can't things change? Good night, Mr. Martin. May I walk you home? Oh, yes, if you want. I want.
are listening to The Third Man, produced by the Theater Guild on the air and presented by the United States Steel Corporation. And now the curtain rises on Act Two of The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton as Martins and Sidney Hasso as Anna, with Anthony Ireland as Calloway. Featured are Barry Kroger, Herbert Berghoff, and Stephen Schnabel. When we got to Anna's room, it was full of MPs, Russian, American, French, English... Major Calloway was there, rummaging through Anna's things. I'm sorry, Miss Schmidt, you'll have to open but this. But, Major, please, it's my letter. Hey, take these letters along and come along yourself, Miss Schmidt. We're going to need you. They but took I... away her letters, her passport, dragged her off to headquarters. The next night, I ran into her at the Catanova Bar. That was the place Baron Kurtz told me about. He was the manager there. Come this way, Mr. Martins. Uh, Fräulein Schmidt sits here waiting for you. Thank you, Baron. You see, all of Harry's friends gather here. Oh, hello there, Anna. Please sit down. Drink? Whiskey, thank Two you. Two whiskeys, That's please. That's right, I hear the police took away your passport. Well, it was forged. Harry had it forged for me. Oh, oh. where are you from? I'm from Czechoslovakia. I ran away. The Russians were trying to get me back. So Harry helped me out. Well, what'll happen now? What will happen? Oh, I suppose the Russians will arrest me if they can. Oh. Hello there, Mr. Martins. Remember me? Crabbin, CRS of GHQ. Oh, oh yes, yes. Uh, how are you, Mr. Crabbin? Don't forget your lecture tomorrow. Lecture? On the modern novel. Oh, by the way, I've given you a title. You're going to speak on the crisis of faith. Oh, I am. Well, what do you know? Yes, well, then... Bye-bye. Right. Uh, cigarette, Anna? Thank you. By the way, I called on Harry's doctor this afternoon. Dr. Binkley? Yeah. I wanted to get his opinion whether the death was accidental or not. Learn anything? He said the injuries to the skull would have been the same whether Harry fell or he's pushed. But he, he was evasive, sly. That guy has rat eyes. Here's quits. Oh. It's five whiskeys. Uh, Mr. Martins, my friend Dr. Winkel said you called on him this afternoon. Uh, wasn't he helpful? Well, he was limited. Uh, Mr. Popescu is here tonight. Oh, I thought he left Vienna. Popescu! Popescu! Come, please. He is back now. Huh? You call me? Uh, Mr. Popescu, Mr. Martins. How do you do? Any friend of Harry's is a friend of mine. Mr. Pepesco, I understand you were with Harry when he was killed. It was terrible, Mr. Martins. Terrible. I have never seen a man killed before. Sounds to me as if there was something funny about the whole thing. Funny? Or something wrong. Who was the third man? The third man? third man would you be referring to, Mr. Martin? I was told that a third man helped you and Kurtz to carry the body. No. No, there were just the two of us. Me and the Baron. Kurtz, who could have told Mr. Martin's a story like that? Who indeed? The porter at Harry's place. Aha. And 
What else did he tell you? That Harry was dead before you got into the statue. He said that? Yes. yes. I have a hunch he saw a lot more than he says. <laughs> Not necessarily. Pesco, was it possible that Harry was mixed up in some racket? No. That's quite impossible. Uh, did you ever know a man called Harbin? Me? No. Kurtz? Harbin? Joseph Harbin. Joseph Harbin. No? No, well, why? Who's he? Major Calloway was asking me about him. The police say that Joseph Harbin disappeared the same day Harry was killed. Well, that's odd. Rather interesting. Coincidence. <laughs> Look at Mr. Martin. He listens so serious, eh, Kurt? Mr. Martins, you must learn what the city Vienna is for the coincidence. Yeah, well, I'll... I think I'll be off. Want to come for a walk, Anna? Yes. You can take me home. Good night, Fräulein Schmidt. You are such a nice girl. But you, too, are a stranger in Vienna. You ought to go careful. Mr. Martins, everybody ought to go careful in a city like this. Good night, Professor. Good night, Kurt. Good night. Oh, Kurt. Yes? Call Dr. Winkle. Ask him to meet us at the bridge. We will then go together to call on the porter, who seems to know so much. Good. Good. Possibly he knows who is this stranger, Mr. Harvey. Walking home, the sky was so black, windows so black, you couldn't tell which buildings were bombed and which weren't. It had rained. Every once in a long while, we came to a street light, made the pavement glisten like an island in the empty black. Everything empty, no cabs, no trolleys. All we heard was the echo of our heels. Holly, hmm? that's Harry's house. Well? Yes, but look at the people in front of the door. Something is wrong. Uh, what's the matter? Uh, uh, what is lost? The porter is umgebracht worden. What's that body they're carrying? The porter. He's dead. Dead? Kaput. Oh, Kaput. Look, look, his throat's cut. He's been murdered. Come on, Holly. You better get out of here. Papa. Papa, there's the murder. Hey, that's that little rat we saw on the stairs. What are they pointing at me for? The boy says you're the murderer. He says he saw you. Well, let's turn around. All the people are staring at you. All right, now start walking back as if he didn't understand. I wish that brat would, would stop pointing at me. What? A terrible little boy. He says he saw you slit the porter's throat. And the people believe him. Here, duck down this alley. Oh, there he comes around the corner. Look at that pudgy little wretch. He's still pointing at me. The crowd is starting after us. Here we go, Anna. Run for it. Fast that you can and run. We ran for it. Oh, dear God, here they come. Down the alleys, down great flights of steps, stumbling through ruins, racing across a great cobblestone square, bang into a little movie house. We waited. When we came out, no one was in sight. Not a soul in all that square. Don't take me home, Molly. Okay. 
I guess I'd better not see you anymore. You'll be safer without me. What are you going to do? I wish I knew. Polly, please don't try to find out any more of this for yourself. You'll end up like the porter. Sounds as if you're worried about me. I am. Well, that's wonderful. Because if you're worried about someone, then life can't be all death and loneliness. Can it, Anna? No. I suppose not quite. Anna. No. Be sensible, Holly. Go to Major Calloway. Get him to put you on that plane. All right, fine. I guess that's best. I'll be sensible. I'll get a cab. Good night. Good night. Hey, hey, taxi, taxi, you free? Yeah, yeah, free. I'll get a nice, sensible cab. Bye, Anna. Goodbye. Hey, thank you. Support. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I haven't told you where to go yet. Hey, driver, driver. What is this, a frame-up? Come on, let me out of here. Going that door. Who who are you anyway? One of that gang? Please. They all waiting. I'll bet they are waiting to waiting to slice my throat. Oh, Mr. Mountains, it's me, Crabbin. Oh. We're all waiting. We thought you'd forgotten your lecture. He took me into an auditorium, introduced me from the stage, and I stumbled through a few stupid remarks. They had a question period afterwards. By then, I'd driven most of the audience away, but I didn't care. I was so relieved to be safe. Safe and snug inside where there were lights and friendly faces and people who were asking questions in my language. And suddenly, a man stood up. It was the Romanian, Papesco. Can I ask a question? Yes. Mr. Martin, are you engaged on a new book? Yes, it's called The Third Man. A novel, Mr. Martin? It's a murder story based on fact. Mixing fact and fiction? Should I make it all fact? Why, no, Mr. Martins. I'd say stick to fiction. Straight fiction. I'm too far along with the book, Mr. Papesco. Haven't you ever scrapped the book, Mr. Martin? Never. A pity. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, if there are no more questions for Mr. Martin... I think I can call the meeting officially closed. Then began a real nightmare chase. Papesco had two thugs with him. They stood at the back waiting for me to leave. And I headed for a side door. I saw stairs. I ran up them. When I stopped to look over the railing, there they were racing up after me, their feet pounding like my heart. I latched onto some door, any door, and then I went into a pitch-dark room. Suddenly, something sliced into my head. It was a parrot. I sucked out the fire escape. On the ground again, I scrambled over ruins and black backyards till finally I found the shambles of a car that must have been buried in an explosion. I flopped in. I sat. And they went by. Martins, you've been blundering around with the worst bunch of racketeers in Vienna. So now you're going to hear the facts. You haven't told me a single one so far. Have you ever heard of penicillin? Well... In Vienna, there hasn't been enough penicillin to go around. So a nice trade started here. Stealing penicillin from the military hospitals 
adulterating it to make it go further and selling it to six people, sick people at $300 a tube. I came here to talk to you about a murder and you wanted to These speak to were the murders record. too. Men with gangrenous legs, women in childbirth, children with meningitis. That is the racket your precious friend, Harry Lyme, organized. Adulterated penicillin. Now, all you can do is blame a dead man. Here, here. Look at these fingerprints from my file. They're Harry. Proving what? Well, now, take a look at this enlargement. It's an infrared photo of a jar of the adulterated penicillin. Now, you see the fingerprints on the jar? They're Harry's, too. Well, what do you say now, Mr. Martin? I'm waiting for you, Calloway. Well, there was a medical orderly named Joseph Harbin who disappeared the day Harry was killed. Mm-hmm. Harbin worked for Lyme and stole the stuff from the laboratories. And then they adulterated it to make it go further. Adulterated penicillin. Would you like to know what it does to children? Well, take a look at this photo. A row of coffins. Mm. And here's another row. These were mothers and babies from a nursing home. All dead from Harry's penicillin. Some, of course, uh, went insane. Okay, okay, Calloway, I quit. You win. We'll send across that airplane ticket in the morning. Good night, Major. I'd keep off the streets if I were you. It'd be safer. I was thinking I might like to see Harry's girl. Good enough, Martins, and, uh, goodbye. Hello? Major Calloway, Colonel Brodsky, Russian sector. Yes? Can I have that woman's passport? You know, the Anna Schmidt one. Oh, we're not going to pick her up for that, are we? What can I do? I have received my instructions. With your permission, then, I will send in for it. Well, I'd better be going, Anna. Felt I had to talk to you about Harry once more. Maybe about me, too. Kitty. Kitty, kitty. Sleepy kitty. <laughs> Cat doesn't seem to like me. Goes right out the window. You only liked Harry. Harry. Harry the Great. $300 a tube. Why, in the letter he sent to me, he said he was in charge of a medical charity. I was supposed to come to Vienna and write for it. Probably thought I could raise the price for him $350 a tube. Oh, please, Holly. For heaven's sake, stop making him in your image. Harry was real. He wasn't just your friend and my friend. He was Harry. Uh, you talk about him as, as if he had occasional bad manners. Whoever killed him, there was some sort of justice. Maybe I would have killed him myself. Maybe you would. Don't look down your nose at me. Oh, I'm just a hack writer who drinks too much and falls in love with girls. Listen, Anna. If I make comic faces and stand on my head, what a standard chance with you. <laughs> First time I ever saw you laugh. Do it again. There isn't enough for two laughs. What are you trying to wait for? Anna. Tears? Tears for dead, dead Harry? Of me leaving Vienna. <laughs> Bye. Aren't you going to telephone? Have the jeep come for you? Oh, everybody must be in bed now. I'll, I'll walk. But it isn't safe. So what if something happens? Who cares? Not me, not you. Night.
kitty. <laughs> what are you doing down here on the street, kitty? Kitty, kitty, kitty. Come on, kitty. Come on out of that dark doorway. What's the matter, cat got your tongue? Kitty? Kitty, kitty? <laughs> well, you won't come to me, I'll come to you. Got a mouse there? <laughs> what are you purring so... Who's that? Who's that standing in the dark? I can see your foot. I can see that cat rubbing against your foot. Come on, come on, step out in the light. Come on, let me see your face. Hello, Holly. Harry. Just wanted to look at you, old man. And Anna, too. Look, there she is in the window. Don't mind if I run now, do you? Harry! Harry Lyme, wait for me! Harry, wait! Holly! Is that you down there? Anna! I saw him. What are you talking about? He's alive, Anna. Harry's alive. Harry alive? He came out of the shadows. He grinned and said my name and then he ran. Harry, it must be trick or it's a trap. Trick or trap or whatever it is, I saw Harry Lyman and I'm going after him. Harry! 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 You are listening to The Third Man, produced by the Theater Guild on the air and presented by the United States Steel Corporation. We pause now for station identification. Now the curtain rises on Act Three of The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton and Sidney Hasso with Anthony Ireland. Featured are Barry Kroger, Herbert Berghoff, and Stephen Schnabel. I caught a glimpse of Harry at the next corner. Then I chased him zigzagging down the narrow street till he came to an open square. And he disappeared, completely disappeared in that open square. telephone to Major Calloway. He wouldn't believe me, but when he came, he found a passage that led from the square down to the sewers. We climbed down. This way, Martin. Keep climbing down. Don't slip on the ladder. Tremendous underground tunnels, catwalks over the running water, networks of tunnels for miles, all echoes and stink and filthy black except for a lonely light bulb string every now and then. Actually, I don't know why we bother to look down here. It must be out for an hour, Yes, come along, Martin. We'll go out to the cemetery and have a look in that coffin. Same miles of cobblestones, only black. Same miles of cypresses, only blacker and confusing the sky. We came to the grave. They lighted flares. The grave diggers dug up the casket. Calloway hopped down to open it. Here, Payne, give me a hand with the lid. Uh, hold the torch a minute, Martins. Uh, off a moment, sir. There's a, a catch over here, like a trunk catch. Yes, of course, uh, the thing might be empty. Oh, it's a now. Sounded like a now. It's got it, sir. Shall we open now? Good heavens. Look at that. <laughs> Bit of a surprise, sir. What's the matter? 
it empty? By no means. Who is it, Major? Do you recognize him? Payne. That corpse look familiar? Yes, indeed, sir. That's Joseph Harbin. Harbin. Medical orderly at the General Hospital. The man that used to work for Harry Lyme and disappeared on the day Harry supposedly died. Payne, bring in that girlfriend of Lyme's. I want to have a talk. I want the truth, Miss Smith. We know he's alive and we know that he's in Vienna. Yes? Where? That's what we want to find out from you. Miss Schmidt, I know he's somewhere across the canal in the Russian sector. You may as well help me. In a few minutes, Colonel Brodsky will be questioning you about your papers. If you help me, I might be able to help you. Tell me where Lyme is. I don't know. And if I did know, I wouldn't tell you. And if I turn you over to the Russians, do you know what they'll do with you? Cart you off to a prison camp. Goodbye, Major. I hope you'll excuse me if I don't sell out my friend. It took me half a day to find where Baron Kurtz lived. It was in the Russian zone, a palace of a place, except it was tumbling down. And right across was an amusement park that had sprung up out of the ruins. I didn't go inside the Baron's place, but I saw him on the balcony. Why, that's you, Martin. Come up. I'll wait here. I want to talk to Harry. Harry? Are you mad? All right, I'm mad. I've seen a ghost. You tell Harry I want to see him. Be reasonable. Come up and talk. No, thank you. I like the open. Tell him I'll wait in the amusement park by the Ferris wheel. Harry walking across to me. Sunny day, the park almost deserted. Way off across the empty flat space, I could tell him coming. There was a jaunty swing to his shoulders, a kind of carousel happiness that seemed to grow in his walk as he kept coming nearer and nearer. Then I saw his face, big grin. He held out his hand. Hello, old man. How are you? Hello, Harry. Well, well, I seem to have been giving you quite some busy time. I want to talk to you. Talk to me? Of course. Come on. Let's have a ride on the Ferris wheel. Why? Why? We'll be alone. We can talk better. I've got the tickets. Fräulein, bitte. Zwei Karten. Geht in Ordnung. Danke schön. Good to see you, Holly. Harry, I was at your funeral. That was pretty smart, wasn't it? You know what's happened to your girl? Mm. She's been arrested. That's tough. It's tough. Don't worry, old man. That won't hurt Anna. Handing her over to the Russians. What can I do, old man? I'm dead, aren't I? Steigen Sie hier ein, bitte, meine Herren. Holly, exactly who did... Oh, here we go. Holly, exactly who did you tell about me? I told the police. Unwise, Holly. Very unwise. You see, I'm safe in the Russian zone. That is, I'm safe as long as the Russians can use me. As long as they can use you? Yes. I'm a wise man, Holly. I have a great deal of information. I wondered how they found out about Anna. She'd been left alone all these years, and suddenly they pick her up. I wonder why we're stopping. The motor isn't busted. Something you arranged, Harry? Old man, have you noticed the excellent view from way up here? You told them about Anna, didn't you? 
Didn't you? Don't try to be a policeman, old man. You know, you ought to leave this thing alone. You never should have gone to the police. Do you mind if I open the door? Why do you want want to open the door? Stuff in here, don't you think? Here, Holly. Come lean out. Look down there. No, thanks. No, thanks. Make me dizzy. See those little dots of people? Would you feel any pity if one of those dots stopped moving forever? Huh? Holly? Did you hear me? What if I offered you a thousand dollars for every dot that stopped? Would you really, old man, tell me to keep my money? A lot of good your money will do you in jail. Jail? There's absolutely no proof against me, except you. I'm sure you think I'd be easy to get rid of. Hear that wind? Doesn't that make a sad, strange howl over the city? They'd never hear us up here. So that's why you brought me up here, to get rid of me. Well, thank you, I'm not going to be pushed out. I don't have to push you out. I carry a gun. And I don't think they'd look for a bullet wound after you'd hit that ground, not from way up here. I'm sure they wouldn't. Wouldn't help you, Harry. Because last night they opened your coffin and found Joseph Harbin. What do you know? (laughs) Oh, Harley, what fools we are to be talking to each other this way. There's no I'd do anything to you or you to me. Come on, let's close the door. Okay, fine. Let's close the door. Going to be the end of the ride, Harry. Not for me. I'm still heading places. You could too, Holly. I'll cut you in, old man. There's nobody left in Vienna I can really trust. We've always done everything together. What do you say? No, thanks, pal. I don't have your guts. Well, if you make up your mind, send me a message. I'll meet you any place, any time. And when we do meet, old man, it is you I want to see, not the police. Remember that, will you? Look here, Martins. After what you've told us, you can't expect us to let you fly the coop. <laughs> you promised me a plane ticket. I'll keep my promise after you help us to catch Harry Lyons. I want you to arrange to meet him at some cafe here in the International. Well, world. that would work. We'll never get him in the Russian zone. Now, Callaway, 20 years of friendship is a long time. Don't... Ask me to tie the rope. Okay, forget it. Busy, Major? Uh, what is it, Brodsky? We have identified the girl. Here is her report. Anna Schmidt? I questioned her. We've got nothing against her. But we have. We shall apply for her at a four-power meeting tomorrow. Oh, I say, Brodsky. I've asked your people to help us with Lyme. He's hiding in your zone. Harry Lyme? That's quite a different case. So long, Major. What will the Russians do with Anna? And nothing you would care to contemplate. Well, let's see now. You want a ticket. Uh, Callaway, what would you pay if I lead you to Harry? Any price. Fix Anna up with papers and get her on a train before the Russians grab her? Is that your price for bringing in lime? That's my price. Then that's a deal.
Hello, Anna. Holly. What are you doing here? Just wanted to see you off. How did you know I was leaving? Uh, Have you seen Major Calloway? Well, yeah, you send me a wire as soon as you arrive in Paris, won't you? Where is Harry? Where do you think you'll stay in Paris? Did you tell Calloway about meeting Harry? Did you? Of course I didn't. You're lying. Well, you're getting out of here, aren't you? You have seen Calloway. You sold out, uh, Harry. Come on, climb on the trains already. Did you sell him out to get me free? Well, they asked me to help take Harry, and I'm helping. <laughs> How big and honest you must be, informing on your best friend. Poor Harry. Poor Harry wouldn't even lift a finger to help you. You and your precious honor. Squealed on you to the Russians and, and you s still love him? I don't know whether I love him or I don't. But I know I'd never do a thing to harm him. Hey, your train is pulling out. I'm not going. Not at this price. Oh, Anna, Anna, why do we have to quarrel now? I loved Harry. I thought you loved him too. Oh, look at yourself. They have names for faces like that. Go on, go on, go away. Show that face to the major. I can't stand it. There was never a question in my mind as to what was right. I knew it was right to turn Harry in, and I knew Anna was wrong. Still, she, she made me feel like a heel, and... Well, I decided to quit. Calloway didn't seem to object too much. But on the way to the airport, he said he had to stop off at the hospital. Asked me to come in. Come along, Martins. We'll walk right down between these row of cots. <laughs> and there are a lot of kids here. I certainly are. And they're here as the result of Lyme's penicillin racket. Now, this little fellow is delirious. Mm. He had meningitis. They gave it some of Harry's medicine. And now, look at the result. Oh, why do you turn away? Calloway, can't... Coming to a long air seems awfully close in here. Just let you rest down in the corridor. Oh, by the way, Payne lent me one of your books. Oklahoma Kid, I think it was. I liked it. I like your straight-shooting sense of justice. Okay, Calloway, okay, okay, you win. You win again. Very late, streets empty. I sat alone in a dinky little cafe waiting for Harry to come and meet me. In the deep shadows all around the square, police were spotted, waiting, armed. I kept trying to drink a cup of coffee, listening for footsteps coming across the square, waiting for the door to open, and then I'd look up. There'd be Harry. Anna, what are you doing here? You're waiting for Harry, aren't you? How do you know? From court. They've just been arrested. But Harry won't come. He'll stay right in the Russian zone. He's no fool. Drink? No, thank well, you. Sit down anyway. Fine view of the square from here. You're watching for Calloway. No, 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 no. Lie. I saw Calloway's face across the street. He's hiding in that arch. So what? So he is. Honest, sensible, sober, harmless Holly Martins. Holly. What a silly name. You must feel very proud to be police informer. 
Well, old man, I'm... Quick, Harry! Harry, the police is outside. Get away, quick! Out the back! Run, Harry! Run! There he goes across the square. Cut him off! Don't fire! Cut him off! He stopped now. Right in the middle of the square. Work around him. Get on all sides. Keep the shadows. He's armed. Oh, what's that? He's going down the meadow, sir. Hey, hey. Take some men and go to the next block. Go to, down to the secure there. Right, sir. We'll try to cut him off, sir. We'll follow from this end. Driver, don't bring it all out, can I? Coming, Martin. Climb down after me. Coming. Please, close. Halt. Keep turning round to watch her. If that went such a long, straight, narrow road, fading away behind her, she looks so desolate. Uh, Calloway, wait a minute, let me out. There's not much time. Well, I can't leave her like this. Well, be sensible, March. Well, come on, let me out. Don't bother to wait. I stood at the side of the road watching Anna come towards me. I began to hear her sharp heels on the cobblestones. 
My heart started pounding, my left knee shaking like a kid in public speaking class. I waited. I watched her coming nearer. All inside of me was scrambling for some word to say as she came up, some word to, to stop her and keep her from passing. She kept coming, eyes on the cobblestones, looking lovelier and sadder every step. There she was, right in front of me. My tongue stuck. My heart stopped. I lighted a cigarette. I watched her going down the long road. Watched her get smaller, smaller. And that was that. Excellent. That was The Third Man, starring Joseph Cotton and Signe Hasso. And from Harry Lyme to Dr. Kildare. Let's find out who's won the Dr. Kildare box set, shall we? I love these movies, and whoever wins them will love them too, I'm sure. I thump the lid of the random computer generator-con machine, and out comes the name of... Julie Cook. Julie, you have won the Dr. Kildare box set. All you need to do, Julie, is send your postal address to me at adam at attaboyclarence.com. And I'll get this off to you as soon as I can. If you want more Attaboy Clarence, then don't forget to sign up to the Patreon. Not only do you get extra shows every other week, I'm doing a summer-themed one this week, but you also get to come to Film Club once a month. It's month, it's Hitchcock night. Sign up quick and you'll get to come along. It's this Sunday evening. You'll also get emails, ebooks, unreleased episodes, previews, commentaries. My goodness me, so much stuff. And there's already hundreds of hours of content there for you immediately to hoover up and enjoy. All you do is go to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes. And if you haven't got a pencil yet to write those instructions down, then don't fret. Just listen on to the end of the show and you'll hear it all over again. How wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much, you beautiful people, for joining me here again. My honor as always to host you. I'll be back with you very soon indeed. But until then, take awfully good care of yourselves. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and e-books. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you.